you need a copy, there's one in front of you. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, feel free to take that with you. But we want to turn to the familiar passage regarding the birth of Christ this morning found in Luke's account. The title of the message is The Christmas Journey. The Christmas Journey. Everybody's on a journey. We're all going somewhere. Life's most important question is recognizing where are you going to go when you die? But we're all on a journey, and for Christians, we're on a journey from the cross. We've already decided that we trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, that we believe that he died on the cross to pay for our sin. We've invited him into our heart to be our Lord. So we're on a journey from the cross. For some that might be in this place today, or maybe somebody that's watching, you might be on a journey to the cross. You're not, you've not settled it yet. You've not answered the question in your own heart of where you stand with Jesus and what you think about this thing called Christianity. And, and maybe if uh, Jesus and knowing him was on a scale of 1 to 10 and knowing him's 10, maybe you're here today and you say, I'm close, Pastor, but I'm just not ready. Or maybe you're saying, I'm, I'm somewhere in between. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm learning more, but, but, I'm, but I've got to, I, I just got to wait on some things to happen in life. Let me tell you something. If you wait for everything to line up in life before you give your life to Christ, you'll not come to Christ because you have to come by faith. And faith is total trust, and that's part of the journey. And we've looked at Mary, and we've looked at Joseph, and we've recognized that it had not been for faith, had they not trusted in the plan of God and the word from heaven, they wouldn't have gone along with it. Now, now Mary, a little different than Joseph, right, because Jesus was in her. But Joseph bought into God's plan by faith, and he recognized that God had a journey for them. So we pick it up this morning in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree, that an order, went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered or taxed. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city, and Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, his engaged, his espoused wife who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, brothers and sisters, I believe in the first seven verses of the familiar passage of Luke 2, a lot of times, a lot of ink is written about the innkeeper. No room for Jesus. A few years ago, we sang, my heart, Bethlehem. And, and that's good. That's good to think that way. But the truth is, we read a lot into the innkeeper that's not in Scripture. It's been added the Bible simply says because there was no room for them in the end. And, and, and I hope to shed a little bit of light on that for us this morning. But really, verses 1 through 6 are about the journey. And when you think about life, we're all on a journey. I want you to write this down to begin the message. God orchestrates life to get your attention. God orchestrates life to get your attention. 
Now, we understand familiar passages like this, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All things. We know Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts I have toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Those are familiar verses that we cling to and we claim that God's in control regardless. Now, I believe in the sovereignty of God. What does that mean? I believe that God's in control of everything that happens. I believe that nothing happens is not filtered through the loving hands and lens of God. But I also believe in man's responsibility. Why, Brother Greg? Because God has given us a will. He's given us a will. And as the Holy Spirit speaks, we can be obedient to God or we can, we can be disobedient to the things of God. I believe when you think about the journey in life that God orchestrates things in our lives to get our attention. Now, folks, listen. You say, boy, he's got, he, Brother Greg, he's got America's attention. Oh, in 9-11, he had America's attention for about two weeks. Churches were full. People were serious about prayer. Folks, Christians coming back to church, getting right with God. You say, well, uh, with, with any source of terrorism or, or struggling or, or COVID, boy, he's got our attention. My question is, does he really? Does he really? Folks, God wants to do more than just give you a, pay, a, a revival of patriot, patriotism. I'm not sure if that sounded right, but that's all you're getting, okay? God wants to do more than it to be corporate. God wants to do it personally. And if we're going to experience revival as a church, it's got to begin with one person at a time, and one person affects one family, and one family begins to affect the church, and the church will affect its community. That seems to be the way God does it. But he does orchestrate life to get our attention. Now, he knew the place. It would be Bethlehem. Michael 5.2 it said, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth uh, to me the one to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth are from old and from everlasting. He knew that it would be Bethlehem. He knew that uh, for many, Bethlehem would be insignificant or seem insignificant. And, that, and that's why it's wonderful to be a pastor in a small town. There are no insignificant places when it comes to God. There are no insignificant lives when Jesus saves you and changes your life. There's nobody here today who's not worth the price of Calvary. Jesus has already paid for it. Don't you leave here today and act like your self-worth is awful because uh, you just feel down about yourself. Jesus went to the cross to pay for it, and he came into the world to do it in the form of a virgin-born baby. It doesn't get much better than that. Only God could do it. He knew the place, but he also knew the parents. He knew Mary and Joseph. I want to ask you a question this morning. Can God count on you? I mean, if God were to say, can I count on you to do it? Can I count on you to share your faith? Can I count on you to be faithful? Can I really do it? He knew what he had in Mary and Joseph. He knew the heart of young Mary. He knew that her response would be a song, my, my soul magnifies the Lord. He knew there would be fear. He knew Joseph would, would have a hard time buying in, as any soon-to-be husband would. But he knew the heart of Joseph. And he knew he'd be a good dad. 
He knew he could count on him. He wouldn't quit when stuff got tough. But he also knew the purpose. He knew why he had to get to Bethlehem. Because it was there he would be born. It was there hope would step into the world. God would be, uh, the love of God would be able to be understood by lowly man for the glory of God. His purpose was to save us from our sins. David Clark and Donald Koch and Mark Harris. Mark Harris, I believe, used to sing with a group for him. He says in the song, I'm sure he must have been surprised at where this road had taken him because never in a million years would he have dreamed of Bethlehem. And standing at the manger, he saw with his own eyes the message from the angel come to life. The second verse says, to think of how it could have been if Jesus had come as he deserved. There would have been no Bethlehem, no lowly shepherds at his birth. But Joseph knew the reason love had to reach so far. And as he held his Savior, as he held the Savior in his arms, he must have thought, why me? I'm just a simple man of trade. Why him with all the rulers in the world? Why here, inside this stable filled with hay, and why her? She's just an ordinary girl. Now, I'm not one to second guess what angels have to say, but this is such a strange way to save the world. That's what God chose to do. And if you're here today and you're a born-again Christian and you believe that, say Amen. Hey, folks, the Christmas story is more than a Christmas card. It's more than a cartoon that you see on television. It's the truth of God's word of hope coming to man. And I love him for that, don't you? God orchestrates life to get your attention. Number two, there's a key word when you think of the Christmas story, and the word is all, A-L-L, all. Verse 1, chapter 2 says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. All is a key word when it comes to the arrival of Jesus to earth. Look at verse 10, chapter 2. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Matthew 24, 14, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached into all the world as a witness to all the nations. Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel. John 17, 21, which really is the Lord's prayer. Often we, we think that our Father who art in heaven is the Lord's prayer. That would be writ, uh, better defined as a model prayer. Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray. In John 17, he is praying. And he prays that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, 
that the world may believe that you sent me. I love that. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as through one man centered into the world, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death was spread to all men, because all have sinned. Jesus came on a mission of mercy, folks. He came to redeem us. And I believe one of the most ungrateful acts in life that you will forever regret is not saying, thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to save me. I accept what you have done for me at Calvary. Thank you for saving my life, my soul. You know, the Bible even says to the believer in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden. And you might be here today and you say, I'm just flat tired. I, I'm, I'm weary. I believe the Lord orchestrates orchestrate steps to get us where he wants us. And I'm thankful that all is the key when it comes to the gospel. That means that you and I have hope. Amen? It means that you and I have hope. Now, where did he come from? Well, we know that he is in the womb of his mom. God has already divinely spoken to him. They're en route to Bethlehem. And, and, and the route um, from uh, Nazareth, some, some say a little over 70 miles, less than 90 thereabouts. But when you look at verse 4, you see a progression. Joseph also went up from Galilee. Galilee. This region is associated with the Sea of Galilee. This is where much of Jesus' ministry took place. It revolved around the Sea of Galilee. The Bible says uh, they come out of Nazareth. It's lower Galilee between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean. It's interesting when you think about Nazareth that it had no prominence until Jesus was born. It had no good reputation. Maybe that's why Nathaniel said in John 1:46, "Can anything good come out of Nazareth?" And Philip said to him, "Come and see." You know when I think of that statement sometimes I think of Camden I think of Cam. I think people sometimes think that we're just hillbillies in the sticks that don't know anything. Well, you go ahead and think that. Come and see. Because I'm looking at changed lives this morning, am I not? I'm looking at changed lives. I'm looking, uh, listen, we, we prayed about relocation a long time ago before this was built. God, what do you want us to do? Instead of moving us, he just started letting us buy houses. That's why we built here. We knew that there would never be another time where, oh, we're going to get bigger. We're going to move out now. No, we, we said our footprint will increase by being part of church plants. We'll partner with other churches now. And folks, I'm telling you, would it not be a testimony of God to continue to see these young people grow up and serve the Lord with their lives and surrender to, to preach and teach and sing and lead worship and serve in missions for the glory of God in the days ahead? I love the fact that when you look at Nazareth, 
God didn't write it off. And he said something great can be done that's going to happen. This is where my son's going to be raised. His parents are nothing fancy. I've done a divine work in his mother, and I've given him a dad to teach him a trade. Number three, I love this about the Christmas message. God sees and knows what we can become. You might be here today, and and you're kind of living in the past. You're defined by something you did a long time ago that changed your life, destroyed those around you, and you're just living shackled to that decision. Aren't you glad this morning that God sees where we can be and he doesn't keep us chained to the past? Now, I'm gonna give you all an opportunity to come clean this morning. You ready? If you've ever done anything stupid in your life, say amen. Mark, I didn't hear you. Hey, haven't we all? Haven't we all been there sometime, somewhere? Listen to me. You may be on cruise control right now and feel like you're on a spiritual high. We're all one step away from stupid. But by the grace of God, he doesn't make us live there. And he sees what we can become. Now, I want to ask you a question. If he used Nazareth, how did you get to Camden? I want you, if, you were from, if you were born and raised in Camden, Ohio, raise your hand. Okay. Oh, we got way more in this service. Okay, Gary. All right, a few over here. Okay. So that means, okay, Cole, appreciate that. That means that the majority of us came here from outside of Camden. Are you with me so far? Shake your head if you're okay. All right. Now. How did God orchestrate you to get here? Look at your life. I tell you more than once, 29 years ago, Camden, Ohio was not on the radar of my life. And for many of you, you're thinking back, I don't know, Brother Greg. I don't know. What God has, he's used people, he's used churches, he's used pastors, He's used faithful Sunday school teachers. He's used jobs. He's used relocation. He's used family. He's used personal invitation from somebody else. And by the way, the number one reason people attend church that have not been in church is because they were invited by a person. They don't care about the message or the singing right off the bat. They were invited. And I praise the Lord for that. And I thank God that he sees and knows what we can become. Regardless of the past, regardless of what others think about you like Nazareth, he's the giver of new life. And I believe he's still saying, come come and see. Come and see what the Lord can do. The small town of Bethlehem, around five miles southwest of Jerusalem, man, we're all on the journey. I mean, what did God accomplish in your life to get you here? He's called you to be saved. He's called you to serve. 
or to the saved, he calls, he's, he's calling you to serve. To the lost, he's calling you to be saved. But yet, in this same passage, it seems to be dominated by an innkeeper who we start reading into the fact that he was careless for a pregnant family and, and, and business was more important than people and, and he really didn't care. That's stuff that we read into it. I mean, did God not know that it was census time, taxation time? Did God not know that there were no vacancies everywhere? No, he planned it that way so that we would recognize the King of Kings coming born of a virgin in a lowly manger. We get this picture of Mary and Joseph arriving after that long journey and walking into that uh, Hampton Inn and hitting a bell, and a, and a clerk comes and says, I'm sorry, there's no vacancy. That's not the way it was at all. The inns in the day of Jesus, some of them were multi-leveled or two-storied. And many times, the first story was for livestock. And then in the middle of the building was a courtyard where travelers could rest. So during this time of, of history, you can't put on rose-colored glasses and think that Jesus had anything. But the divine hand of God and the divine protection of God for the divine glory of God. All we know is he was born in a manger, most likely a feeding trough, a feeding stall. Listen to what Paul writes about the humility of Jesus. Verse 3, chapter 2, Philippians, Let nothing be done with selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interest, but for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. What mind is that? Verse 6, Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Let me tell you something. Jesus didn't let somebody kill him. Jesus laid down his life for us. And just as he's orchestrated everything that takes place to Bethlehem and everything that's brought you to this place this morning, he orchestrated everything all the way to Calvary. The baby born, the Messiah. You see, here's what the innkeeper didn't know. This is the king. And while many came and went that night, little did he know that his hope of salvation rests just outside his doors. And you might be here today, listen, your hope of salvation rests maybe just outside your heart's door. So what about this end? Here's question number four. What are some reasons our hearts are crowded at Christmas? Or why our hearts at times become a crowded in? Here's, here's the first one. Our own choices. Our own choices. Listen, if your life is so busy and out of control, it may be because you've never learned to say no. It might be because of poor time management. Where did time go? Are you with me? 
Where did time go? How many of you can remember? You know, we talked about catalogs when we were little growing up. You know, Christmas catalog. Oh, man, pennies and Sears. How many of you remember gift wrapping at, at stores? Like you could literally buy a gift and take it, and some lady would wrap it. Renee, Renee said to me more than once, you know, I, I really wish I could have had a job at Beerman's wrapping gifts. I would be the guy at the mall if you were to bring your gifts to me to wrap. They'd never get done. They'd never get done. Folks, listen. A gift is to be received. Is it not? And, and the Christmas gift came wrapped in a package, swaddling cloths lying in a manger for all. And the good news is uh, th that Jesus came for us, but we can sometimes, by our own choices and poor time management, crowd him out of our lives. What good would it do to celebrate Christmas 2021 and miss Jesus? We'd come out on the other side thinking, boy, Christmas was a letdown. It was a litany. And here's another, that our, our heart might be crowded in because we allow others to dictate our time. Okay, and I want you to listen to me carefully. I say this in love to every grandparent that's in this room. Let's not be selfish grandparents. If you're a grandparent, play along with me, okay? Are you listening, grandparents? No, you're not. Say we hear you if you're a grandparent. Okay. Sometimes the holidays can become the most stressful times in everybody's life. And let me tell you, if you have a family and they have kids, if you have grandkids, it's especially tough on them. The younger the kids, the harder it is. What? To be everywhere at all times and to please everybody. Somebody say amen, help me. Renee and I are by no means perfect in this area. We are works in progress, but here's what we've learned with two married kids that have kids. We'll take you when we can get you. And if I can't have you on prime time Christmas Day, if I can't get you to our house at 8.30 a.m. on Christmas Day with little kids, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to take you when we can get you. And we're going to love each other. And we're going to praise the Lord for Christmas. And as we get together, whether it's before or during or after, it's going to be a joy because what a blessing it is to be part of this family. Somebody say amen. Sometimes a crowded in takes place because of the demands we put on each other. We've lost nine members since September 1st or Labor Day. Let me say it again. Nine members of this church. In years past, we go multiple years and not even lose nine members. But I do know this, and the hardship of all of those losses, Cindy, we have nine folks that are in heaven this morning because they gave their life to Christ. Because they trusted Christ. You see, one of the healthiest places to be at a point is when you begin to say things like this. Man, I need to slow down a little bit. You ever been there? I, I need to slow down. I'd like to do it, but, but, but I just feel like I'm overextended already. Or 
I can't do what I used to do. I don't know what's happened to me, folks. 60s hit me hard. I mean, when I tie my shoes, I'm looking around to see if there's something else that needs done. You work smarter. Amen, folks? You work smarter. Uh, there's no need for you to move furniture, that we have strong people like Grant that would be willing to help you move furniture or climb ladders and fix lights on wreaths and things like that. There comes a point, listen, where you have to say, I can't do what I used to do. Number five, we'll close. But may God use me to help someone else as they grow to learn to serve and lead. Now, when you look at this statement, I put serving first intentionally. A lot of people want to lead and they never serve. You learn to lead by serving. Oh, this week I saw it again in the life of the church, digging in deep, helping these families that have lost loved ones. Man, I praise the Lord for you. People doing whatever it took. And I thank God that he allows us and gives us an opportunity in life to pour into somebody else. You say, why, Brother Greg? Because we're all on a journey. We're all on a journey. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, well, I've got all my, I remember when I was young, I, the days were long and I thought I had life forever to live. I can remember when dad turned 30. I mean, I've got so much life in front of me, and then all of a sudden you wake up and you look back and you're on the back nine. You've made the turn. And my prayer is, my prayer is, listen, that if I'm here next week or not, the gospel will go forward in Camden, Ohio. Why? Because he's worthy. He's worthy. And he never said, this is my place or your place. It's his. As a matter of fact, I heard a startling truth the other day that really uh, humbled me. We're all interim pastors. We're not here forever. But by the grace of God, may we pour into somebody else and help them serve and lead for his glory. So we're on a journey. And I guess that's my question where are you? Every head bowed, every eye closed.